Welcome to the Everyday Peacemaking Podcast. I'm Oshita Moore. And I'm Jer Swigart. Join us as we grow our imaginations for joining God and others in mending divides. Fear runs deep, spreading like a virus. Hate is cheap. From afar it costs you nothing. Sister, take my hand. Brother, we will stand. Open up. Hey friends, welcome back to the Everyday Peacemaking Podcast. I'm Oshita and I'm here with my co-host Jer. And Jer is bringing a story to us today that I think taps into a collective ache that we all have around loving someone, having a deep personal relationship with them, but you deeply disagree with them on theology or politics or ideology. Jair's bringing a story about his dad, and I cannot wait for you to hear us process how we be bridge builders, how we fight like peacemakers in our everyday lives. So Jair, take us away. Oh, Oshita, so good to be with you. You're right. Like I, I feel like this is the stuff right now. I don't know how you're feeling, but I think the notion of political elections, primaries, there's voting happening soon. And I think folks are paying attention to 2024 being an election season. And it just feels like I feel the weight of it already. And there are some recent conversations that have just got me reflecting on my relationship with my own dad and and to bring you in a little bit on that. First of all, I I lost my dad now just over four years ago after a battle with cancer. And, you know, so I I offer this story thinking very fondly of him and, and I think most grateful for what we got to share together throughout his cancer journey, because some of this stuff happened in the setting of that cancer journey but much mm-hmm. of it much of it predated the cancer diagnosis so my dad and I we always had a dynamic relationship and it was really built on experience together and as i got older i think we began to develop different perspectives on politics and on theology and it wasn't really a big deal Honestly, it, it was just, I think it was a part of my journey. I think that there were moments along the way where it was troubling for my dad. And, yeah. and even as I reflect on some of those conversations, I remember a conversation where he was approaching me because he was alarmed by some of the ways that I was befriending people that were too far outside of what felt safe to him. Yeah. And And I remember in a conversation, him almost confronting me on it, uh, like like a, you've gone too far here. You're far too tolerant here. And, And I remember getting curious with my dad around why he felt it was so important to, to confront me on that rather than to be curious with me about it. And he finally got to a place where he said, because successful fathering or successful parenting for him was connected to making sure that his kids thought the same way that he did, worshiped the same way that he did. Like it was a success factor. And when he began to see that I was moving in some different directions, it actually was hitting that. It was grading up against that. And it was making him question whether like his success as a father. Yeah. For me, I felt like I was raised by my dad to have an open mind and to 
push on things and to ask really big questions. And so it was never my understanding that my dad wanted to be, me to be exactly like him. I think that he created an environment where I could take the journey that I needed to take. And I think that was a really marking moment. This, this predated the 2016 election cycle. This definitely predated his cancer diagnosis. But I remember just having some of those conversations with him along the way. And which began, I think, a practice for he and I, where we wouldn't get so caught up in the talking points around the theology and the talking points in terms of the ideology, but we would get to what's lying behind it. Now, we weren't good at it, but I think we started to play with it a little bit. Then we entered into the, the 2016 election cycle when I just think everything got really divisive and really super hard. And for those of us who are listening in, I think regardless of where you stand theologically or politically, I I would imagine that you can probably mark the 2016, 2017 space as like a really hard moment. We as Global Immersion began to work with teams and congregations, even marriages, families who are disintegrating because of their inability to bridge across ideological difference to remain in relationship with one another. Now, I would say that for my dad and I, while we had a practice of exploring some of the deeper things, the same thing kind of happened for us in that era, where when when we would get together and talk, he would share with me his ideological talking points, and I would share with him my ideological talking points. And and I kind of like a spar. I like the process. Like we're going to disagree in the direction of a more beautiful thing here. I kind of hold that conviction. I understand that's not true for everybody, that when things start to get a little bit harder, uh, it it can feel intimidating or it can activate some flight or fight stuff going on in folks. And I started to watch that happen in my relationship with my dad, where it wasn't playful banter and we weren't diving into the deeper things anymore. We were getting caught up in this ideological talking point back and forth thing between us. And then introduce a cancer diagnosis. And uh, and I just want to acknowledge that when something like that happens, it helps us all remember what matters and what doesn't matter. Right. I think that that happened in that space where enter a cancer diagnosis, all of a sudden the talking points on all of this paled in comparison to the reality that this is my dad whom I love dearly and I'm his mm-hmm. son whom he loves dearly. Um, but we still disagreed uh, on some things. And so as we're beginning to move into this new season of cancer, we're still in this place where we're kind of locked horns a bit. Um, we haven't walked away from each other. Yeah, We're still opting to lock horns a little bit, but it's not constructive. And I remember this one moment when it got a little bit hotter than usual between my dad and I. And and I, I think, I don't know how my dad would have assessed on the Enneagram, but I think he was a nine, which holds the category of a peacekeeper, um, which is different than a peacemaker, which is probably fodder for another episode. Yes. <laughs> but a, a peacekeeper is going to make compromises to maintain a calmer status quo. And that was really my dad's orientation. Whereas I'm an Enneagram eight, which is a challenger. And I like to stir it up because that's where I think we get to a better place, right? And so we were, our horns were locked. It was actually getting a little bit, a little bit hotter. And my dad wasn't trying to de-escalate anything. He was actually coming at me a little bit more differently. 
And, and the way that I experienced it is he began to ask questions that didn't sound curious to me. They sounded corrective. Ooh, okay. And, and so that was the tool that he was using. And again, I remember that he was, the corrective nature is, was tied to his experience of feeling successful as a dad. And this and, was post, wait, the corrective was post the yes, cancer it's, diagnosis. It's so post, it seemed like, it's, okay. Yeah, we're in the heat of the 2016 election cycle okay, and we're okay. post-cancer diagnosis. Okay. And so the corrective nature is is happening here. And I remember just pausing the conversation at one point and just saying to my dad, dad, I, I feel like the questions that you're asking me are more corrective than curious. I feel like you're tr- trying to lead me in the direction of the way that you're thinking rather than working to understand the way that I'm thinking. And in his virtue, and this is so admirable, um, he, he acknowledged that. He acknowledged that he was moving in that direction. But then it also paved the way for the conversation to move him to the place where he could confront me on what it was that he was experiencing from me. Mm-hmm. And get this, mm-hmm. here's what he said. I, I called him on, your questions feel more corrective than curious. And probably 30 minutes later, he felt the agency to say to me, I feel like there are moments when you're trying to intellectually bully me. Wow. So imagine yeah. your dad confessing to you that, that he feels that you're bullying him, which is could not be further from my desire or my intention, but so helpful for me to understand that there was a way in which I was positioning my arguments the pace of my arguments, the vehemence, the volume, the passion, and all of these things that my dad was not experiencing as constructive or an invitation to grow a more spacious understanding. He was experiencing me intellectually bullying him. So here we have in one conversation, a son saying to his father, or offering feedback to his father, I feel like you're being more corrective than curious, and him embracing that yeah. and apologizing. Yeah. And then him saying to me, I feel like there are times when you're trying to intellectually bully me, dominate me, win, uh, which I had to acknowledge. I could see exactly where he's coming from. And while it wasn't my intention, I think that's exactly what I was doing to him. Right. And rather than growing a deep and shared understanding of what lies beneath the ideologies and theologies, it was actually moving us apart from each other. It was widening the divide between us. Mm. But that was a pivot moment for us. Everything didn't change, but I noticed that his questions of me shifted from corrective to curious. That was the norm. And I Mm. found that in the way that I was positioning some of my thoughts back with my dad in conversation, I too was probably asking more questions than offering my researched bullet points on X, Y, and Z. (laughs) And then what happened is we then started to stumble back into what lies beneath. And what we found is that what lies beneath our theology and our ideology were a lot of similar things. Mm -hmm. And we kind of reclaimed some common ground with one another. And then we began to actually talk about how all of those sparring, while fun at first, and then it got to a place where it wasn't so helpful, it wasn't deepening our relationship. We weren't convincing each other of of anything. We were just widening the divides. And what we found then toward the end of my dad's life 
is that that process of confession to one another, of making a commitment to understanding values that we could build some common ground there. What it did is it didn't convert my dad over to my way and it didn't convert me over to his way, but I think it created a deepened shared journey that was transforming both of us. Right. It was making us more spacious and open to nuanced thoughts and difference, which is what we needed, which then the skills that I needed to do this with other folk. Hmm. And it strengthened my resolve to try to figure out now as a father raising kids, how am I creating the space to awaken the curiosity and free my kids to take the journey that they need to take and allow myself to be moved by it rather than to steer them, correct them, control them unnecessarily. So like, w- take us away with this, Ashia. What are you hearing in, in take all this? Take us away. Well, okay. So, because I, I have all these questions. First of all, I think what is so relevant and something that we need to be mindful of is that there is an element of intimacy and relationship building and iron sharpens iron, if we want to use scripture, of that kind of fun back and forth. Well, why do you say this? Well, where did you read that? But there is a moment, and I think this is the moment where so many of us are afraid of getting to, and so we avoid it altogether. There is a moment when that fun turns to harm and Mm -hmm. where the sarcasm is now cutting. Mm -hmm. It's not funny. Can you let us in a little bit about how did you notice that playing out between you and your dad? Yeah, I think when the the corners turned... I think most often when I would project that his ideology was a bit too rigid and wasn't spacious enough to ensure the humanity, dignity, and image of God of Mm -hmm. certain categories of people. Right. And so I I experienced him shift in in his demeanor when he sensed I was asking him questions that made him feel like I was questioning his character or I was disagreeing with his value system. Right. And I think in effect, what I was probably trying to do was find ways to grow his understanding, maybe to be a bit more spacious, a bit more inclusive. Right. But when I would press in there, I think the way that I would press in there probably made him feel judged, critiqued, and not entirely helpful. Right. Yeah, because what I'm hearing is that this, as you put it, you being in locked horns with your dad led you to a place where you both can maybe still be in locked horns, but like not like if you imagine like your eyes are like kind of like slinted and angry at each other. But now like you're they're like your locked horns, but your eyes are kind of open and full of wonder. And like, I'm in this with you as opposed mm-hmm. to like, I'm doing this against you. Mm-hmm. Um, That's kind of how I hear that. It sounds like what activated between you and your dad was like a deep empathy and a remembrance of your love and your commitment to each other that maybe was lost in the middle of all of this. Mm-hmm. Does mm-hmm. that sound or feel right? I think to so. You? I, I think so. I and again, it, it predated the cancer diagnosis, but there was, I think, an acknowledgement that our relationship and the strength of our relationship has to matter more to us. Yeah. Than even agreeing on yeah. things politically or theologically. And right. what I learned in this relationship is that we can fundamentally disagree theologically and politically with someone and still be in an intimate, thriving relationship with them. Yeah. But that, that, like, it requires us, though, to hold a little bit more loosely to our own sense of certainty and rightness and 
like this is humbling work. Right. But I think it's the next frontier of Christian discipleship and witness in this moment in time. I think that followers of Jesus and everyday peacemakers in particular, we should be marked by humility and we should be the kinds of people who actually demonstrate to the watching world that I can fundamentally disagree with you and still be in an intimate relationship with you. I can see your viewpoint and even maybe have a more robust understanding of where that viewpoint leads and the pain that will cause right. than you maybe currently do in the moment. But like, if I'm going to try to strong arm you into an understanding of the pain that ideology is causing in a, in a way that compromises the relationship, like I've disqualified myself from being able to journey with you you know, uh, over time. And so I don't know, I, I think in my, in my relationship with my dad, like humility had to grow. We had to confess to each other that we had made mistakes and that we had hurt each other, but we didn't have to compromise our values. We didn't have to compromise what we thought really, really strongly about. It's how we chose to communicate that with one another that mattered. And the last thing I think I would say is it's interesting to me how in my arrogance, I could be fighting for him to expand his understanding of the humanity, dignity, and image of God in another in a way that was actually communicating to him that I wasn't seeing his humanity, dignity, and image of God. Yeah. So isn't it interesting that we, like in our yeah. arguments and rhetoric, we can become the very thing that we're trying to maybe fight like a peacemaker against? Yes. Okay, but I'm going to push back on you since you like sparring. I wonder how does this break down when you are in a disagreement with somebody whose opinions and ideology and theology and even their work in the world like is actively participating in your potential harm. Mm -hmm. So the reality of your story, which I love, and there I'm like I am learning so much, but you're two white men and you are in a relationship with each other that's bounded, that's the deeply intimate relationship mm -hmm. with father, son. What is fighting like a peacemaker with somebody who holds a different opinion than you look like if you are the marginalized person and they are the person of power or mm -hmm. in the majority culture or vice versa? How did those real social dynamics play into those conversations? I have my own opinions on it, but. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious how what you've learned with your father, how does that extrapolate mm -hmm. to those different dynamics? Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And I, I don't know that I can answer with any semblance of credibility what it means to fight like a peacemaker from anywhere but the place of power and privilege. And and that's probably for another <laughs> <laughs> episode to talk about what does it mean to be an everyday peacemaker when you're actually sitting in the place of power? I, I think for me, the way that I would interact with that is I think that peacemakers are pro-human, but we're never neutral. Mm. Like mm. there peacemakers are always interrogating the status quo, even of another person's ideology. And and I think in my relationship with my dad, where I saw movement in him is when I started to see him consider people groups that he had never considered before. And not just consider when I watched him actually move toward them with his body, with his energy, 
with his curiosity, with his resources. And I saw this happen with at least three different groups of people that previously before this journey, he would have categorized as way beyond the reach of his empathy mm-hmm. and God's too. Yeah. So, but what, what the reason I, I say that, what I want to raise up here is I'm all about viewpoint diversity and I'm all about holding space for nuanced perspectives in all the things, but I will never confirm nor validate an ideology that demonizes dehumanizes, diminishes the image of God in another. I can't. And now I spend a lot of my time in training and formation with other dominant culture, white identifying people. And the reason that I do that is number one, I understand it because that's my experience. But number two, my colleagues all around the world who have been marginalized by the abuse of power Mm-hmm. have put their index finger in, in my chest saying, this is your work to do. You have to companion your people. Right. And what's not helpful in companioning my people is trying to conquer them or compromising my convictions, some of the convictions that I just shared here, in order to be in good relationship with them. I actually have to figure out how to grow the currency of trust with people long enough that they'll actually dare to take a journey in which their theology, maybe even their ideology will become a bit more spacious. And how do we know when that's happening? Well, like with my dad, when he started, when we observe them beginning to move toward them, usually that sounds like they stop using such demonizing language when they're talking about them. Yeah. And over time they start, it's no longer them. They have a name. They have a relationship that they're starting to navigate toward and it's shaking them up. And if we've built the currency of trust, like I did with my dad, when he's stumbling into this newfound relationship with someone who he believed was beyond the reach of God's restorative wingspan previously, when he's stumbling, he actually can come to me and say like, how do we do that? How do I do this? How do I navigate this? Yes, yes. You know what I'm saying? And so again, pro-human never neutral. Now, the way that we interrogate and companion people in, and I'm not asking people to move from a conservative space to a progressive space. I don't think that's a solution. I think there's a Jesus way. I think there's a third way that we can think about others, our irritants and our enemies in the way that Jesus did. And, right. and I think Jesus was really spacious in the way that he built and maintained relationships. And I think he was really surgical in the way that he loved people while companioning them in their interrogation of their own ideology and theology that caused them to hurt people knowingly or unknowingly. Right. That's so good. So let me ask you this, Jer, because I hear your story and I am deeply aware of the fact that I am a sensitive soul. I like to argue with someone insofar as that I know that they're not going to go anywhere. So like I argue with my Enneagram 8 husband because I know we're in this. I don't always dig in. I'm also an African-American woman. So I bring that to those all, those conversations. Is there a way to fight like a peacemaker that doesn't involve the lock horns, say in it, have those ongoing conversations? Or do mm-hmm. you think that the skill set that we need to build, people who come to this work already kind of reticent, feeling like there's yeah. already some pain that, that I'm bringing to this or some yeah. deficiency I'm bringing to this. 
and that this conversation is only going to harm me more or make me feel less than say more about mm -hmm. that. How mm -hmm. do we kind of come into this if we're, yeah. if we don't feel like we have either because of society or within ourselves, the capacity to do it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I would go to the first two practices of everyday peacemaking, them being see and immerse, which we yeah. always say is kind of a yin and yang. Like, I don't know which is first here. Right. I see and then what I see oftentimes causes me to immerse. And then sometimes when I'm immersed, it's there that I learn to see more accurately. So you see it's the yin and yang effect. I connected to that. We we borrow from the genius of so many others who have gone before us who have said that our work as everyday peacemakers is to seek understanding rather than to be understood. And I think that's the disposition and the conviction that we need to be bringing into these relationships. I'm not here to convince you of anything. I'm here to cultivate the currency of trust with you. And like, I, I think about Jesus in the Emmaus road, right? There's a massive event that's just happening. And when Jesus enters in and offers companionship, he, he enters in not with correction, but with curiosity, helping those people understand more fully exactly where they're at, understanding their pain or understanding the story better. And I think that's the practice that we need to continue to cultivate as everyday peacemakers is that like, I'm not coming in with my guns blazing and my talking points. Now I'm an avid reader and I've got convictions and I've got talking points and I think strongly about things, but that, that that's not, that's actually not necessarily helpful very often. What I found is more helpful is working to build the currency of trust, which usually involves me talking about my own process of failure and learning and making mistakes and changing my mind. Like I have to normalize for people that I've changed my mind because of things that I've experienced, not just things that I've read, but like things that I've experienced. And so I'm finding that just practices like sitting with people and saying things like, tell me more about that. Can you help me understand that more fully? I just heard you say this and I heard you say it with some emotion and, and passion. Can you help me understand what lies beneath that? Because clearly there's some emotion there. See, it's I'm inviting people to unpack more fully how they feel and what they think so that I can understand that and meet them there. Not that I don't... I, not that it, their viewpoint doesn't matter to me, it does, but I'm more interested in understanding like where was that formed and why is there energy behind it? Because that's where I can connect with you and where we can build an actual relationship and begin to take a journey together. The last thing I'll say is this is true across the board with the practice of everyday peacemaking, fighting like peacemakers. It is slow work. None of this happens quickly. No conversions, as though that's even our job, no conversions happen because of a conversation. I change my mind because I've experienced something and I've usually had someone walking with me, helping me to understand it more fully, right? So I think it's the see and immerse, like pay attention when you're in conversation, listen for the values that are surfacing, listen for where there's emotion and invite people to say more about that. Can you help me understand? Ah, I noticed this. Tell me where that's coming from. I want to know you more than I want to know your ideology. Okay. Yes. I, I love that. I think you're right. Here's what I think happens more often than not is that we are not set up in our everyday life with those people that we have disagreements with who we are different from, 
we are not set up to have that level of intentionality and patience and care with this stuff. So for instance, something happens, we share a hashtag that matters to us. Then our brother sends us a text that says, why would you support Black Lives Matter or whatever? And then now you are put in a position to have to figure out how to do all that work over text or like it, it, it wasn't like you didn't wake up that morning saying today I'm going to fight like a peacemaker for Black Lives Matter in a conversation with my brother who I know is against it. So mm-hmm. I think what I'm hearing you say and what I am taking away from this conversation is that there is a bit of wisdom and intentionality that we have to have as peacemakers to look at the landscape of the people who are in our lives and to almost recognize that I might have a disagreement with this person around this idea because I know that they hold this. And when something like that comes up, like this is how I'm going to fight like a peacemaker. Like this is how I'm going to respond. If if I'm going to get a text from them, I'm going to say, I don't do these things over text. Let's go for coffee two days from now. So you have a chance to kind of get out of your fight or flight mode. You have a chance to pray and think and build your strategy for peacemaking. And then you do that. And then know that's going to be one of maybe 50 copies that you have with that person. Because I think what often happens where we get tripped up and where we kind of get in that locked horns moment that you and your dad have is that this stuff just kind of pops up in front of us. Somebody says something and then we say, I don't agree with that. And then all of a sudden we're off to the races fighting with each other where it starts as a spar and then it becomes like we're actually hurting each other. What do you, how does that feel to you? Mm-hmm. Like, what are your yeah, thoughts around yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, what it raises for me and maybe the threads that I would want to pull here are, are first and foremost, I have to ask myself, am I a teachable person? Mm. Am, am I, I just spoke to how my dad, I, I admire my dad because of the journey that he was willing to take because of the journey that I was on. What I didn't emphasize as much is the journey that I was on because of the way that my dad was on a journey. So like this notion that I have all the things to offer and nothing to receive is really destructive. I think Mm. so. I think first and foremost, as everyday peacemakers, are the pores of our souls open and are we humble enough to be teachable in every encounter that we have along the way? I think that's important to start there. The second thing that I think I'd really want to draw up and you bring up an example of maybe a social media point or a point in a conversation that triggers somebody, you know, and it makes them mad that you would say that or that you hold that viewpoint or whatever it is. And I think what's important for us as everyday peacemakers is I don't want the evidence of my life to simply be sound bites and thoughts and ideas. Do people, do your loved ones in your life look at your life and see you as a practitioner do they have a front row seat in understanding where some of your perspectives are being born out of? Do they see you just lobbing thoughts like grenades and um, and provoking people with your hashtags? Or are they seeing the ways in which you are contending in slow and creative and collaborative ways, failing forward at times, sometimes having moments of hope grow and celebration? But do they see the evidence of this in your embodied practice? This. Because if all we're doing as everyday peacemakers are saying a few things, I don't think that we've got that much credibility. But I would want, in this case, the, the example that you bring up, I would want my brother not to wonder why 
I would make a statement about hashtag Black Lives Matter because I would want him to already know and see the evidence in my life and the way that I am in relationship contending alongside of these folks for liberation. Mm. You know, I still am sitting just personally with this story, curious about how I have navigated that when I am not really teachable <laughs> because being teachable means neglecting or rejecting some part of ownership of my identity as a person of color. I'm personally sitting with what is it that I'm willing to be teachable about these areas and being influenced? And then how do I hold grace for those people who still hold those ideas? Am I teachable in my conviction that we're all made in God's image? And so I'm willing to be taught by the spirit and by the conversation to hold empathy and maybe not be fully influenced to change my ideas. That's kind of where I'm sitting. Does that still feel within the realm of our work with peacemaking? Like, what are I, I your thoughts it, on that? <laughs> I think it absolutely does. I think it absolutely does. And I think as well, we need to be okay with affirming and acknowledging the virtue and the beauty of as much of it as we can in another person's ideology if we disagree with it. There's mm -hmm. beauty in there. Mm -hmm. And and we got to search for it. I think that's a C practice. Yeah. We, we search for the virtue in someone else's ideology, especially if we disagree with it, because it's in there somewhere. Find it. Right. Right. And, and, and name it. And then figure out how do we build on that? Because we probably share that in common. Yeah. This is exactly what we need to be talking about right now, because what you have experienced with your father. I think it's so important and it's making me think of something that I think is an invitation for me and maybe an invitation for our audience of everyday peacemakers is something that my husband did when he was working on his ordination. So in the denomination that he was ordained with, there was a, a part of the ordination process that, that told them they had to pick a topic, like pick a theological position, pick a position, and then write a paper on the opposite position that you hold. So he had to spend all this time studying and then write a paper and then defend. So part of, in his ordination interview, he would defend the other side. And I remember that being such an important exercise for me to watch him walk through. And it became sort of my posture around these topics is that I will do my best to understand the stories, the experiences, the positions, the values. Like I'll try to do my best to understand those things that those people hold and what could influence them to have those views. I'll do my best to understand it. I won't ever allow myself to agree with it, but I'll understand it so that when somebody comes to me and says something like that, I can say, I can see that you have a lot of passion around this. I can see that families really matter to you. I can use language and say, I see this good virtue in you. However, the way I experience it or the way I process it or the way that I learn it, but like even just learning to craft that own phrase for me has de-escalated so much. And so what I'm hearing you say is that to fight like a peacemaker means to fight against our own disgust for somebody else's opinion enough that we would learn about it, even if we have to learn about it apart from them so that when we're in their space, we're in those moments, we can honor the hard work and the humanity of them in that conversation. Or put a different way, it probably means we stop saying things like, let's agree to disagree. 
And we find ourselves saying more frequently, here's where I think we agree. Yeah, 100%. Yep. Gamer. Yeah, exactly. That's where it is. Here's where I think we agree. Yes. Yes. So good. Well, Jer, this was fun. We've got a unique invitation, especially for faith leaders who are anxious about guiding your congregation or organization through another political season. Our friend and co-conspirator, Dr. David Gushy and I are combining forces in a live virtual three-session workshop, fusing the themes of his just-released book, Defending Democracy from Its Christian Enemies, with practical training. Throughout the workshop, you'll deepen your understanding of the fusion of theology and American politics and how it's impacted your faith, your leadership, and your congregation or organization. And you'll gain support for your own journey of formation and tools for mending the ideological divides within your sphere of influence. The first session is October 18th. Get the full details and register at globalimmerse.org. We are now accepting applications for the Journey of Hope 2024 cohort. Journey of Hope is our flagship cohort for Christian leaders who are searching for an honest integration of peace and justice, who are looking for tools to form competent competent teams, congregations, and organizations, and who are in need of companionship in their journey of transformation. If this sounds like something you need on your peacemaking journey, please apply. We'd love to hear from you. We are accepting applications now through October 31st. And finally, the Everyday Peacemaking Podcast is a production of Global Immersion and is made possible by our Embers community of monthly donors. Join Embers with a monthly gift of any amount. Sincere thanks to the Brilliance for use of their song, Turning Over Tables. Learn more about the work of Global Immersion, forming everyday peacemakers and reconciling leaders to mend divides at globalimmerse.org.